Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Um, so, and this is important because, and, and, and your point is very important as well, the Holy Spirit is a person, but not a human person, right? This is, a, this is the third person in the Trinity, and it's very important that we affirm the personhood of the Holy Spirit because we are Trinitarians. We believe there is one God in three persons. We don't believe there is uh, God the Father who has sent out this force from himself called the Holy Spirit, and it's only God the Father with his force in operation in the world. We affirm what Scripture says, that there is God the Father, person one, God the Son, who we've just finished that doctrine, person two, and now God the Holy Spirit, person three. But yet, one God. Yes? That's why it's so critical that we are emphasizing his personhood. Because when we diminish his personhood is when we start to move towards not being Trinitarian. That's the challenge. Let me say this something. I think you might get to it later. So one question about this. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that something that really was interpreted a lot? Well, there's controversy around what the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit means and the chronology within salvation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we are definitely going to talk about that in detail. And that's where we're going to get into that non-essentials area. Yes. I mean, at, at just a very high level, since you asked the question, there, there is a, a, a section of theologians that would say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the salvation process, that they're one and the same thing. When, you're, when you trust in the finished work of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you at that moment. Then there are others that would refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a number of ways, but a common phrase you hear theologically is a secondary work of grace, meaning that you're saved at point A, and then at some subsequent point, and there could be some discussion of how long that could be or what that looks like, at a subsequent point, then you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there is some controversy around, is it simultaneous with salvation, or is it a secondary work of grace? That's where there's some controversy, and it's a non-essential. But we'll cover the scriptures that support both aspects. Does that make sense? Okay. The, the problem I have with person, I mean, I, I get what it is, but in my mind, I can't separate person from body. <laughs> does that make sense? It does, but I like I used the analogy last week, and and I'm not I'm not. Um, trying to insult your challenge of getting it, but I think that if you think of the people you know and love right. who are no longer here, right. you think of them as people, even though they are not in body right now. Exactly. And that's the way, I'm not trying to, to be heretical. Obviously, the Holy Spirit isn't a human. But what I'm saying is, if you can think of a disembodied human that you love right. still being a person, yeah. that might help you. Yeah. Well, and that's what I said before. So it's intelligence, it's agency or will, and it's emotion. 
When those three things exist, you have a person. Yeah. And I think that, you know, our humanness, if you look in history, we want to set up an idol. Yes. Here's our God. Yes. This is what they look like. It's in our image. Yes. And God is not in our image. One of our arguments about abortion is that the passage that says, you knew me before I was conceived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not possible for you to have a body at that point. Right. Your parents have not done their thing. But God thinks of you as a person that he has planned for this world. And I'm not saying that I have a problem with that. Sure. I do, but but in my limitations. Of course. No, I, I didn't think that you meant that you're like disagree. I you just you're like your brain's trying to wrap around this notion that there is person. But again, we think of the God the Father as a person, right? He's a personal deity, yeah. and that the the contrast is an impersonal deity, right? right? So Hindus believe in impersonal deity. Buddhism is really atheism, but uh, I guess it'd be more like Zoroastrianism would be impersonal deity, right? It's just the universe is God. Everything is God. You know, this table is God, and we just kind of got to get into the flow of God. That's impersonal deity. We as theists, uh, as Christian theists, say, uh, no, God has revealed himself to be personal deity. He has will. He has emotion. He has intelligence. That's who he's revealed himself to be. Well, what I find is that I can affirm this, mm-hmm. but sometimes I have trouble living out that. Yeah. Just as I affirm that we are sinful and everything, but many times I want to live out as if people are good. Mm-hmm. And there's problems with that. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, I mean, we are so influenced by Enlightenment thinking and even more modern stuff like Freudian thinking you know, that says that we all started out good and then something messed us up versus biblically saying, no, we were born broken and God Christ had to come so we could be fixed. You know, and and so much modern stuff is like, I just believe in people's, the goodness of people. Really? What historically would lead you to that conclusion? You know, but, uh, but that's a, that's a very, very, very prominent aspect of the worldview that's out there today. Yeah. I have a quick question about essentials and non-essentials. Okay. So, the reason like, I, I pay attention to what a lot of people consider non-essential mm-hmm. is because if you're wrong about them, mm-hmm. it can lead to the essentials getting messed up. So, for example, like Paul and I, we went to a prosperity gospel church. Mm-hmm. Right? And the whole doctrine of, you know, you have a need, plant a seed. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. the people there did believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Right? But for me, like the reason I'm here now, uh-huh. the reason I feel God pulled me out and put my family mm-hmm. is because the, the, the thinking of, of, of that prosperity, mm-hmm. it messed up my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I thought it was God. I thought this is like I do this and God's going to communicate this way. So you just explained why it's not a non-essential. See, an essential is anything that affects your salvation. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to, I I hate, I I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. Because are there people attending prosperity gospel churches who are genuinely saved? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. However, it would be in spite of that being what they're listening to. Because what you said is true. What have they done in, in, in that 
theology, theological system. They have changed the nature of who God is. So you're not trusting in the biblical Jesus. You say they believe Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, so do the Mormons. So do the Jehovah's Witnesses. But it's what Jesus rose from the dead. Which, which version of Jesus? Because your New World Translation version of Jesus isn't the biblical Jesus. So if you're trusting in that Jesus, you're not trusting in actual Christ. Does that make sense? So when you're trusting in the God of the prosperity system, you're not trusting in the biblical, actual God. Does that make sense? And so that does affect your salvation. That would be an essential. No. The, the key thing, guys, is look, I mean, just on this point, I mean, just think about it another way around the essentials and non-essentials is we're not legalists. Legalism says you're, you have to do certain things to go to heaven, right? Well, we don't think there's anything you can do to earn heaven. That's why Christ died for us. Does that make sense, Steve? So, when you start to, what people end up doing is they'll take a doctrine, and since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, let's just take a doctrine that's controversial like tongues. Are tongues for today or are tongues not for today? Well, if you, get, if you start pounding the pulpit about tongues, is someone going to heaven because they speak in tongues? Are they going to heaven because they don't speak in tongues? Tongues has nothing to do with Christ's death burial, and resurrection. The only thing you can trust in for your salvation is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That makes tongues a non-essential. Does that make sense? Unless you make it an essential and say you have to have it in order to go to heaven. Well, that would make you... I get it. I get it. But And that would be where we... That's why I say it starts to cross into soteriology, and that would become an issue of an essential nature. On the same nature of a lot of things they ran into in the early church with trying to follow the old uh, traditions to please yourself with God. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it? Um, Judaism. Yeah. That's, that's what I was saying. was the one that was the first big. Yeah. But, but I want to just say that what you just said is not a pneumatology problem. That's a soteriology problem. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. That would be a corruption of an essential doctrine of how we are saved. Does that make sense? And that's when I met with the priest at the very end. I said, the, you know, I told him what I found with Calvin, and he said, okay, that's all great and good. And I said, but the problem is, is that the service and the words that are said during the baptism implies soteriology. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, it doesn't. And I said, yes, it does. <laughs> and he said, show me. And I said, do you have a bulletin? We'd had a baptism just the previous Sunday. And I've read the part where the parents are affirming it because the service itself is much like a baby dedication. Mm -hmm. And that we do here. And when the parents repeated, one of the things it said is that those who are saved here today. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I said, that implies, and he was like, oh my gosh, you're right. That implies. <laughs> and the final point actually was we went back to a much older version of the Book of Common Prayer and the language was even stronger that soteriology took place when the water hit the baby. Wow. And so that was the point at which I said, I, I, I can't do that. I, I don't believe it's a non-essential in another area. I think it's something we're supposed to do in some way, form, or fashion to show our, our affiliation. But I don't believe that the actual baptism act 
gives soteriology. That's my determination after that year-long study. Wow. And so it fell into exactly what you said. It became a sociological problem, yeah. not a baptism problem. So what he should have been able to do at that point is talk about uh, corporate election versus individual election, but he didn't seem to go there. So anyway, let's... Uh, <laughs> I'm just... I'm just <laughs> Okay. Does that answer your question about essentials, non-essentials, help you a little bit more, Steve? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Next, the Holy Spirit has relationships, her relationship with the apostles, Acts 15, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. So the Holy Spirit has a relationship with the apostles. They're interacting uh, with one another. The Holy Spirit has relationship with Jesus. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify Me because He will take from what is Mine and declare it to you. So this takes away any option that the Holy Spirit is a force emanating out of Jesus. Because you see, it, the, 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 the picture is Jesus standing here, and I'm being very metaphorical, of course. Jesus standing here, the Holy Spirit standing here, and we're standing here, and Jesus hands something to the Holy Spirit who then hands it to us. They are separate entities in this scripture, very clearly so. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example of what that looks like? Well, did John get a revelation? Yeah. As an example? And we know that the scripture is delivered to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The New Testament scripture, anyway. He didn't speak to Nostradamus. Don't worry about that part. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Yep. He has relationship with the other members of the Godhead, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Three different members of the Godhead all together. Here's a very interesting set of passages that relate to the power of the Holy Spirit, which show that the Holy Spirit is actually distinct from his own power. So this, if there was ever an idea that the Holy Spirit is just this force or this power, this should clear that up. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the entire vicinity. Acts, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with them. So here we have the Holy Spirit being spoken of separate from the power that he wields. 1 Corinthians 2.4, My speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's possessive power. The Spirit is the person who possesses power, and that power in the possession of the Holy Spirit is what is enabling Paul to speak. I think my theology has just been messed up. <laughs> I feel like a paradigm shift, like, yes, I believe that the Holy Spirit was, is a person. I mean, I, I, but there, I think there's just this 
whole idea of the Holy Spirit being an influence, as you called it, I wouldn't have known what word. Yeah. I, I think that I'm like having a paradigm shift. Mm. So, I mean, all these questions, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of where I feel like I'm coming. Yeah. That's good. So, I'm thankful for this. Yeah, thank you. So he's shown in relationship to the apostles, shown in relationship to Jesus, shown in relationship to the Trinity, and shown in relationship to his own power. A force doesn't have relationships. So what's our takeaway? He's referred to as a person, he. He possesses the ingredients of personality, intelligence, emotions, and will. He acts as a person. He receives descriptions only due a person. And he operates in relationship as a person does. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? What's our conclusion? Yeah. So I wanted to read you a couple quotes that uh, I think can help us uh, with some application of this. And we're going to unpack this idea more throughout our study. But James Boyce in Foundations of the Christian Faith uh, says, If we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power, our thoughts will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? If we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, we will ask, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? The first thought is non-biblical and pagan. The second is New Testament Christianity. R.A. Torrey, in his famous work, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, published in 1910, says, The conception of the Holy Spirit as a divine influence or power that we are somehow to get hold of and use leads to self-exaltation and self-sufficiency. One who thinks so thinks of the Holy Spirit and who at the same time imagines that he has received the Holy Spirit will almost inevitably be full of spiritual pride and strut about as if he belongs to some superior order of Christians. One frequently hears such persons say, I am a Holy Ghost man, or I am a Holy Ghost woman. But if we once grasp the thought that the Holy Spirit is a divine person of infinite majesty and glory and holiness and power, who in marvelous condescension has come into our hearts to make his abode there and take possession of our lives and make use of them, it will put us in the dust and keep us in the dust. I can think of no thought more humbling or more overwhelming than the thought that a person of divine majesty and glory dwells in my heart and is ready to use even me. Wow. So, because of Matt's brilliance, I want to go to Acts chapter 8, because this is a good uh, example. So, would somebody open Acts chapter 8, and it's really long, so I want us to read that together. Verses 9 through 24. Somebody want to volunteer to read for us? Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, Matthew, or Acts 8, 9 through 12, 24. Okay. Sorry, guys, mine's the old-fashioned version. But there was a certain man called Simon who before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
Then Simon himself was believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Great. So here we have a guy who is a sorcerer. His source of income is doing these cool tricks. And he sees the apostles show up and the tricks they're doing blow away what he's been able to do. And he's thinking, man, i got to get me some of that. So he goes over to them because, by the way, if you don't know, to this very day, magicians sell tricks. There's a whole industry of selling tricks to professional magi magicians. And so, you know, a David Copperfield might have invented a cool trick, but he made way more money selling that trick after he had invented it. So Simon, I mean, um, yeah, Simon goes up to them and he's like, hey, here's some money. I want what you've got. And they say, you know, how wicked are you that you think that you can buy what's going on here? Now, by the way, we mentioned before the controversy, this is a passage that would be at the heart of the controversy of when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. We will unpack this passage later and we, when we get to that, but I'm just pointing it out. It may have occurred to you when you read it that you have a guy who supposedly believes in God, believes in Christ, and yet does not have the Holy Spirit. Time passes, and later on, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is happening with a laying on of hands. There is time that passes there. Yes? Okay. So, just throwing it out there. All right. So, let's look at Acts 13.2 as a contrasting example. I like that Simon speaks that way. Pray ye. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 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 all good. Acts thirteen two. Somebody want to read that one? It's really short. Sure. Okay, so in the first example, we have an individual, individual that wanted to get and use God. In the second example, we have God getting and using two individuals. Do you all see the contrast there? Yeah. So, our understanding of the Holy Spirit as a person plays a big role in how we end up operating and pursuing our sanctification process. Does that make sense? I, and I think too that on the Acts 8, it's, a, it's good to 
word of warning to all those who saw and heard what was going on. Yes. You don't mess with the Holy Spirit. Correct. So, let's go to our little checklist here. Look at us. Boom. How is the Holy Spirit a person? This was a question on the whiteboard last week. You don't yep. like checklists. Y'all feel, like, feel like we've checked off that box? Okay. So, so we only have another year to go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Any questions on the personhood of the Holy Spirit? Good. All right. So the next thing that we see that Scripture affirm is the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly, as we study the deity of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be reaffirming the personhood of the Holy Spirit because we know that God the Father is a person. We know that God the Son is a person. So if we, excuse me, if we affirm that the Holy Spirit is God, if they are people, He must likewise be a person. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like coming to personhood again through the back door of studying uh, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing we might uh, refer to is what is sometimes called the divine names, the connection of the divine names with the Holy Spirit. And you asked about this, or no, one of you asked about this earlier, and it was this idea that we see these synonyms where it'll say the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit of, or Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Father, etc. And we'll see them used synonymously side by side. And that happens uh, 16 times. Here's just a couple of examples. Acts 16, 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. If you, we, we covered this in the, uh, we had the longer version of this, but it says Holy Spirit above and then Spirit of Jesus right below. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Equating Holy Spirit with deity. Isaiah 63.10, they rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit, so God became their enemy and fought against them. Two separate entities in the same passage used synonymously. Uh, because it says him there, and I didn't want to put the entire Isaiah verse so that you could see it's referring to God. Yeah. It's, it actually says they rebelled and grieved him, his Holy Spirit, so he became their enemy. But it's, it's referring to God. Um, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three shown to be equal to one another. There's not one name that stands as more important or more prominent, one person that's more pro uh, prominent in that formula there. So, yes? What is the Greek for nations? And what is the definition of that? It's a good question. I will look it up for you, and I will send, if you're not going to be here next week, I'll send Matt the answer. All right, well, I mean, maybe... Maybe. Do, uh, infant uh, I see. Got you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, ethnos. huh? Ethnos. Ethnos. Yeah, maybe so. I, I I don't have it here in front of me, so I will. I'll have to pull it up. I mean, I could get out of the presentation and pull up the Greek version, but um, I will make sure. Actually, I should force you to come back to get the answer. That'll mean we we get to see you again. Yeah. Another three weeks. 
Even if you are legal. Yeah. Yes, yes. Instead of just the Father. Correct, yes. Well, actually, Jehovah, which is the same word as Yahweh, we talked about this in the Christology study. We say Yahweh, but actually it's pronounced Jehovah, so it's the same exact word. Uh, there is a really strong case to be made that every reference to Jehovah, every time that shows up, it's actually talking about the Son. But I think that it's true that what traditionally is thought of as Yahweh is referring to the Father, and at a minimum, it is referring to the Trinitarian God. Isn't that also the covenant name of God? Well, I mean, that's a little thorny because there's multiple covenants, but yes, I guess. I mean, you know, he... It, 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 this is part of what I'm saying. Like when you, the pre-incarnate Christ is referred to as Jehovah, and a lot of the fulfillment passages in the New Testament that harken back, to, that are showing that Christ is the one that was promised, they referenced scriptures where he is referred to as Jehovah or referred to as Yahweh. So in that sense, Christ, of course, is the covenant promise fulfilled, and the new covenant is in his blood. Yeah, so he has 13 names that he goes by, yes. Okay, um, one more and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here and we'll, we'll keep talking about the deity of the Holy Spirit next week. He, can, he put, um, is shown to have uh, attributes that are only things that are possessed if you're God, and one is he is eternal. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Hebrews 9, 14. Okay, so this week your goal is to listen for anyone who refers to the Holy Spirit as a force and just bop them on the head. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But now that, now that you have this awareness, you're going to start to see this pop up all over the place. I promise you. Yeah, you will see. You will see this pop up. All right. God bless you guys. Uh, yes. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.